beginning. Thank you for tuning in once again to the Grief Dreams podcast. I am your host, Jean Carlin Black, and alongside me is my co-host, Joshua Black. He's the one doing the Grief Dreams research at Brock University in Ontario, Canada. And we met our next guest, or tonight's guest, at an event we did in British Columbia in January. It was the Exploring Grief Dreams workshop we had at the Cultural Centre. And let's jump right in. Devin Christian is a registered clinical counsellor in British Columbia's Fraser Valley. After experiencing many deaths in her own life, she pursued a career path in which she could support those who were experiencing their own grief and loss. Five years ago, she started working in the hospice, child and youth and adult bereavement programs, and now she supports those in her surrounding communities with their grief, mental well-being, caregiver stress, and life transitions through her private practice in Chilliwack, British Columbia, as well as through her local community mental health center. Welcome, Devin. How are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode. I am as well, and I'm I think you're our first guest, perhaps, Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're our first guest from Chilliwack. Uh, Have you always lived here? No, I actually grew up in Langley, and I moved to Chilliwack about three years ago. Nice. Do you like it? I love it. It's beautiful out here. I know it's the best. I I love it, too. I just, I drive around, and and I'm just, like, in awe of, like, the views and stuff. I I find myself sometimes taking it for granted, but it's definitely a beautiful spot and perfect if you like doing outdoor kind of stuff. Definitely. And I find that all the seasons really stand out here. So it's a really nice view every time of year. Yeah, good stuff. All right. So if you don't mind me asking, what, what prompted the move from Langley to Chilliwack? It was actually my um, hiring with Fraser Health for a community mental health position. Okay, great. Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So you came to the workshop in January, and uh, did did you have a good time? Did you learn something? And just kind of, I just want to hear a little bit about that before we jump into the grief stuff. Yeah, I um, Josh had actually emailed me and said that he was coming out, and would I like to come and join um, to hear about his research? And I was very interested. So a couple of colleagues and I came out. We learned. Uh, a lot. It was really nice to mix with clinicians and community members and just kind of see what kind of research is coming out. And the grief dreams really piqued my interest. Um, Just how many individuals really do have these dreams after the loss of a loved one. And so I've, I've been following Josh actually since then just to follow the research and just to see really how many people share their story and how they're impacted. And it has really made a big difference in the work that I do with people privately and exploring their own grief dreams. Very cool. I love it. That's amazing. I'm happy you were able to come and, and, and you got something out of it. And that's great. I love hearing that. I got a question. Were you there for both events, the public one and the workshop? No, I came for the workshop in the afternoon. But there were still some um, public members that were still invited to that piece. So it was nice to kind of just touch base and I was chatting with some people in the front afterwards and just the experience they had had with both the morning and the afternoon pieces was really cool. Yeah, it was fun for me to do both pieces and actually visit Chilliwack for the first time. Um, But the one part you missed that when I look back at at that uh, presentation, there's one drink, I always ask 
um, when I do public presentations, if anyone wants to share like a dream they've had. And one old lady, Jade, you remember this, one really old lady, she must have been like 90 or something. And she was like the cutest little thing. And I and she raised her hand. So she wants to sort of tell me about her dream that she has. So she's <laughs> she gets to Mike and like with this like such a cute old, you know, kind of a person. She says, you know, I have this dream all the time. I can't figure it out. And I said, oh, what, what dream did you have? And she's like, keep seeing my deceased husband walking around naked in my house. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stop laughing because I've never heard anything like that before. And she was so sweet and innocent. I'm, I'm like, I was like, was this a common occurrence in your household? And <laughs> she started laughing. Um, but she said it wasn't. But it was uh, one of the, just one of those funny moments that, you know, everyone just busted laughing. And, you know, she still left, I think, a little puzzled by the occurrences. But she said, you know, like, it's not like a negative thing. She, you know, it's not, doesn't haunt her but she was just curious why he's not wearing any clothes <laughs> wow what an experience i really kind of wish i had i had seen that story was there for it but yeah, yeah sounds like a very interesting experience for her it was a once in a lifetime i still haven't heard that you know i've heard people like get like have like romantic encounters but i've never heard anything like that before so it's uh, one of the very few i've heard one for the books for sure <laughs> So you have told Josh that you have um, suffered a few losses in, in your life, actually many losses. Uh, can you share with us who, who has died in, in your life? Sure, yeah. Um, my, it's quite a few, actually. So it started when I was three, four years old with my great-grandmother and then very quickly kind of proceeded up until my early teen years with uh, my grandmother and then my nana and then my grandfather um, an aunt, an uncle, and quite a few of my dad's friends who sort of were in my life as pseudo uncles. There was three of them. And then I'd actually had uh, one friend die, uh, a close family friend who was kind of like my second mom. She died when I was really young. And then a couple of my siblings, very close friends that I grew up with. So by the time I think I was 21, I had uh, 13 or 14 deaths already. So it's quite a few growing up. Wow, that's in, that's intense and and not so common to have that many by. Well, I don't know if it's common, but I mean, I don't I don't hear that a lot. You know, people having that many deaths by the time they're twenty one. That's young to go through that much loss at such an early age. Yeah, it was um it was getting to the point where I couldn't go eighteen months without a funeral for a wow. good period of time. So it was really intense, but um, I mean, incredibly sad at the time, but um, really uh, honoring to have learned some of those experiences really early on in life. Yeah. And like, what death do you think impacted you the most? Oh, that's a really good question. There are, I'd say there are three that still are the most impactful. I'm not really sure if I could choose between the three of them, which one was the most, but uh, it was my nana, my grandfather, and my aunt. Um, those three individuals were huge in my life. And so, I mean, to this day, still huge individuals and influences in my life. And so those three, I think, are the most impactful losses that I experienced. Did other people help you a lot in your time of need? Like when you were going? Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I grew up with a really supportive family in that aspect. I mean, every person that we lost was a huge part of our family. And so I grew up with parents who, you know, openly mourned in front of me and helped create rituals with us for them and would welcome conversations about the deceased. And so, yeah, it was just a very normal experience, I think, for me. Um, as strange as that was, you know, being a, a grown, a teen and, and a child growing up and having this be a normal part of my life. But yeah, I just, I grew up in a family that really welcomed that continuing bond that um, I encourage people to have that I think sometimes really helps solidify that people aren't always gone. It's just a change in the relationship and uh, sort of keeps my loved ones still close with me to this day. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm curious about what kind of continuing bonds did your family approve of or, or, or try to do on a regular basis? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of them was just genuinely talking about the, the individuals that had died. So sharing stories or even acknowledging things that they would like. So my aunt loved the color orange. So anytime we would see something orange, we would always start talking about her or sometimes we would even buy it for her and keep it at our house. Uh, my Nana was a huge baker and so we would make her cookies that she left her recipe for um, when we were kids and then we'd talk about her and, and we'd share the cookies at family events or my grandfather who was a huge gardener and so we would garden in the backyard with my mom and we would talk about his garden and we'd go berry picking with him and we'd share stories of what happened sort of all our lives. My grandmother also not um, she died when I was quite young, but she collected uh, green worms, like porcelain green worms. And so everybody in the family got one of her worms after she had died. And my grandfather kept the largest collection. But we always had that worm sitting somewhere in our room or our house and, and everyone got their own. So it was very interesting to just always see them and we'd go to the cabin or we'd go out to another family member's house and there was grandma in the green worms. And so just these pieces where we kept these people alive in our memory and in our, in our experiences so that just because their physical bodies weren't here anymore didn't mean that who they were and how important to they, how important they were to us died. And so I grew up in this experience where we get to keep them alive and well, however we want to, that's healthy for us, right? And so, yeah, it was pretty cool just growing up and, and making sure that just because somebody died didn't mean that they were gone. That's really amazing. I'm, I'm happy your parents really opened that up to you guys uh, to allow you to be able to, to see this as normal because as you probably know, a lot of people don't, right? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, you know, People, you know, and families don't always encourage that stuff. But you, even at a young age, four, and they're encouraging this stuff. So do you think like doing this stuff and having so many losses allows you to cope better with loss, like when it does come up in your life now? Definitely. I think that having so many experiences from varying degrees of relationships in my life has really allowed me to just recognize that this is the most natural process on earth. I mean, death is kind of our only guarantee that we have in life. And so recognizing that it is an inevitable that will come and kind of like 
it makes me more appreciative of the living and the experiences that we have because they're not guaranteed and it's not going to be forever. Um, and so when someone is dying or someone has died in my life now, I really treasure that experience and to recognize that while their physical body isn't here, I still get to keep their memory alive in however I choose to make that relationship, which I really do think makes it a little bit easier when someone's physical body is no longer here. I agree. I agree. And I think that's important, the the piece on however you see fit, you know, because people have very different ideas of of how to keep memories alive and traditions and kind of rituals and all the different ways that we honor our loved ones and what is normal or fitting or comforting to one person might not, you know, work to the next person. And so, and for each loved one, it's, it can be very different as well, depending on the relationship you had, you know, when they were on the side and, and kind of what that, what that looks like. So I think that's really cool that we get to choose kind of how we, how we remember them. Yes. You know, I think one of the most beautiful moments that I learned from one of my former clients um, was she, her husband had died and they had been together for many, many years and they used to do everything together. They, you know, they had stopped working, they'd retired around the same time and they'd spent a good chunk of their retirement together and she wasn't used to going out without him. And so what she did is she made this big, you know, 16 by 12 and a half or whatever the size is framed photo of him. And she brought him everywhere she went. She buckled him into the front seat of the car. She sat him down at a table two for two at the restaurant. She put him in the um, seat next to her at the movie theater. Like she really kept him with her at all times, tucked him into bed at night. And I remember when she first started doing this, she was so concerned that there was something wrong with her because people didn't understand and they looked at her funny. And all I could think was, wow, how beautiful. You are still bringing him around with you in the life that you two built together. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no harm to anyone. You're still having a communication. You're still making sure that he sees what you're doing and he's with you at all times. Like, I just thought that that was so beautiful when she had shared that with me that I like to encourage that story for people because sometimes the things that we do to continue our bonds with our loved ones might seem a little bit strange and people might unfortunately start to make judgments, but really at the end of the day, if it doesn't harm anybody and it gives you comfort and you still feel like your loved one is with you, that is all that matters. And so I really encourage everyone I encounter to find what fits for them and what way that they can bring their loved ones with them. Because who's to say that it's wrong, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so cool. And, and you know, brave to, to honor that and, and do it her own way, you know, despite what, what other people think or their judgments, like you said, and to just, if that's giving her comfort and allowing her to, to move forward with her life and, and feel like he's still a part, uh, you know, a part of everything, uh, I have the exact same stance as you on that. I just feel like, you know, go for it. If it's not causing anybody harm and it's, it's helping her cope in, you know, in, in her own way. And it's beautiful. I love it. So all these, all this loss that you suffer, do you, do you feel like that contributed to your wanting to be um, a clinical counselor or like, how does that fit in with all this? 
Well, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to to be there, to be there for people when they were struggling. I was the kind of kid who would, you know, sit with the adults and wanted to know what was going on and to make sure that I was there for people who were feeling sad or not strug- or struggling in life. And as I grew up, even with my friends as teenagers, I was kind of always the person that people came to and bounced their ideas off of or felt comfortable enough to share what was going on at home. And so as I sort of meandered through high school and started university, I knew that this was really what I wanted to do. And when I started my master's degree, I really had the opportunity to choose a population or an area of work that um, I wanted to sort of master and focus my education on. And I thought, what else could I do but to go into grief and loss when that is just feels like home for me. It feels like a place I can sit when not everyone can. And so that's where I went. I I sort of structured my education around seniors and around grief and loss. And I did all of my practicums with the hospice society to make sure that I got the best experience um, with working with people who are struggling with the death of a loved one. That's super exciting. That's got to be like, I'm thinking, cause I didn't know I wanted to do this till, you know, way, <laughs> way down the road. Um, I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. So for you to like, at such a young age to know that there's something just leading you to this place and then to finally achieve it. Like how, like, how was that for you to actually go into your master's and start doing exactly what you wanted to do? It was life changing. I, can't express enough. I don't even know if there are words to highlight how I felt. But when I I remember starting the program and starting my first semester in my master's degree and feeling just this relief, like I was home and I was meant to be here. And this was what everything was for so that I could learn the skills that I needed to in order to be able to turn around and offer all of that back. Yeah, that's very cool that it's like so linear for you. And, and cause I'm like Josh too. Like I, even when I got to graduate school, it's like, I understand what you mean by like the feeling of home, like, okay, this is what I want to study. And, but like to know, like, I want to be a, a counselor and I'm going to follow this through. That's, it's pretty cool and assured. And I feel like most people, you know, they kind of know what they want to study, but like me, like I, I was like, this is what I want to study, but I don't know where this ends up like on the other side. I know this is a piece of it, um, but we're, I'm just going to kind of go through it and then we'll see what doors open on the other side that are related to this, but just very ambiguous feeling. So, um, you know, I, I admire that vision that you kept the whole way through and seeing it through and from, you know, idea and, you know, putting it into practice and then following it through. It's a really cool journey is, I imagine, you know, so rewarding. The most rewarding. I really, I couldn't picture doing anything different. And I think that is really the biggest gift that what I wanted to do, what I felt so early on really was and is the place where I'm so happy to be. It's brilliant. So tell us what it's like to have a like practice, a private practice. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's awesome. I, uh, you know, when I was working in hospice, I loved it because I got to sort of immerse myself in grief and loss, but I felt because of the limitations of the funding, we couldn't touch the other things that people were struggling with. Um, and then sort of in my community mental health job, I'm my role is to work on mental health, and so I can't always touch the things like grief and loss and relationship difficulties and the things that are sort of outside of those pieces. And so private practice, I think, just really allows me to help work with the person as a whole without any limitations other than time. And so there's nothing off limits and there's nothing out of bounds. And however things interrelate and intersect, we get to work on and we get to explore in whatever capacity the client is looking at, at exploring. And so I just, I feel such honor in the private, in my private practice that I don't have to put the restrictions of a system on it. And I just get to let my clients be where they're at and I meet them there. Right. And so do you find that some clients, I mean, it's great if you have clients that are, are super open-minded and like, yes, I want to talk about grief and loss and I'm open to exploring how things are interconnected. Well, do you ever get the opposite of that? Clients that just say, I want to strictly focus on my grief and loss and I don't want to talk about anything else and, and, and kind of keep you... Um, like more um, targeted, I guess, in uh, in your approach? Definitely. There have been people who say, you know, I'm here, I've got this amount of time and this amount of dollars, and this is what I want to work on. And that's what we work on. At the end of the day, it's what their goals are and what brings them into therapy. That is the purpose of my job. And when other things are inter intersecting in that, you know, even just mentioning it or, or looking at it and saying, hey, I know this isn't what we're looking at here today, but I'm noticing that this is kind of impacting your grief. And so I'm curious if maybe this is something you'd also like to touch base on, or maybe if you'd like to touch base on it at home and sort of just think about this for a bit. Um, see how it's it's interrelated to your grief. And if by looking at that, we might be able to release some of that grief that you're also experiencing. Right. I think that's super cool that you get to do this for a profession. You know, if I had to go back again and do it all over again, I'd probably go that route. Um, as much as I love the research and the grief dreams, it's just I love helping people too. And I love seeing the different dynamics of people and how they approach life and what got them and what kind of models that they're holding on to that get them to that to struggle and to seek for help like right now. I'm curious when you when you first got your, you know, like the first got your office, what was like the one thing that you put in there that had to go in there? Was there like a photo of someone? Was it like a certain type of uh, couch or photo? Like was there is there something specific that you really wanted in your office? Um actually, there were a few things. So <laughs> guaranteed I needed plants. There is something about having live living plants in my area that just sort of it changes the atmosphere. I mean, of course, they're cleansing the air, but there's something about having a living being inside the space that I'm working in that really just makes the space feel like mine, makes me feel sort of grounded and rooted. Um, but also, I have these candy dishes, and they were actually my great grandmother's. 
and they're these silver little dishes and there's three of them that match and I have candy everywhere. Um, and so I make sure to bring those dishes into my office. And so they're full of candy spread out throughout the office in the waiting room, in my own office and in the other extra room but where I get to bring a bit of my family and the people I came from into the space where I'm hoping to help work on healing with others. And I just can't help but think of the sort of the circle that came about that these people are, I am their legacy and yet they, their loss taught me so much and actually brought me to doing the work that I'm doing now. That's so cool. I like that. It's such a beautiful story to be able to grow from your own loss and to help people moving forward. It's like you keep their memory alive by doing what you're doing. And that's be so beautiful. I'm uh, I'm really curious, what kind of candy you got in there? <laughs> right now, it's Werther's. Although oh, hard, hard my candy. clients have really eaten all of the per or the brown ended ones because they're the chewy ones and i've come to learn that those are really the best worthers out there so i'm gonna have to go and find some more <laughs> i love those too <laughs> cute. and what a cool way to continue bond and you know continue your bonds and i like that i like what you said about you know bringing a piece of your family and your legacy into your space and you know the kind of cyclical nature of the memory and and that's really cool i like that thanks all right so because it is december and christmas is coming up can you believe christmas is almost here guys it's going by like a blink of an eye <laughs> i know this can be a very very difficult time for the breed do you find people coming into your practice um ever bring up the idea of the holidays or you know that that's a, a, a kind of additional struggle for them I find that for people where it's maybe the first Christmas or maybe their loved one died around Christmas last year and they just don't really remember it and it's been a blur and now this is the second Christmas coming around so many of my clients feel that overwhelming feeling like how am I going to get through this how am I going to be able to do this without them and so that ends up being a lot of our work coming up to the holiday season is just looking at ways to create lasting bonds and to manage how to get through the holiday season now that things have shifted without them here. And so what kind of um, advice do you have for people who, let's say, are adults and have lost someone and they're heading to the holidays right now? What kind of advice do you have for them if they're listening? The first thing I have to say is listen to your body and listen how you're feeling. I really encourage people to make plans for the holiday, something with people that are familiar or really supportive, but recognizing that on the day of, if you don't feel like going, listen to that. And that's okay. It's okay to not engage in the activities or the festivities because you just can't do it. It's always better to have plans and not be able to attend than to not have plans and need to attend somewhere because you don't want to be by yourself. And so make the plans, but listen to your body. Pay attention to how you're feeling because you get to do this your way and there's no reason why you have to do anything that you don't want to. Okay, that is seriously the best advice. Even 
even though I wasn't struggling through like grief and loss, I have had moments where I'm stressed in school or just a high anxiety moment where I felt like I didn't want to go, you know, to something because I wasn't feeling it in my mind, body or spirit, whatever it was. And I always felt guilty for not going like, you know, I didn't want to bail on things. And I never, you know, there was, there's been times in my life where I really struggled with telling people like, I can't come because I really need to focus on self-care or whatever it is. Um, so I think having like a counselor just kind of, you know, like enforce that is super important and, and to, and to really highlight that it is, you know, the individual's choice and they really need to honor how, how they're feeling. And, and it's not necessarily about letting people down or, or anything like that, but just when we're going through that struggle, we have to really make time for ourselves. And so I think that's really, really good advice. Thanks. Yeah, I just I think sometimes we're so good at blaming ourselves and trying to put ourselves down for the things that we think we should be doing. And so sometimes I just see the relief on people's faces when I say it's okay to not go and it's okay to need somewhere to go. Right. And to be able to ask for what you need and do what you feel that relief that kind of just comes over their bodies when we're talking about it. Just saying like, wow, okay, yeah, I I don't have to feel bad or I don't have to do things that other people want me to do just because other people want me to do it. And so I think sometimes getting that permission almost alleviates a lot of the stress and the anxiety that comes around the holiday season, especially when we're dealing with grief and loss. Absolutely. Is there any other tips you have for people uh, around the holidays that are dealing with it? So the first thing, I love that advice that you just gave also um, about not feeling obligated to attend something if your body's saying it's, it'll be too much or to bail halfway through. So you could go to the party, but then if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's okay to leave sort of thing. Um, so do you, have any other do you have any other tips for, for those people? Yes. So many tips and tricks for the holiday season. Thank oh you for God. asking. I love to share this information. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, it's a Christmas episode for a reason. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So if I could really just kind of spew my ideas, it's again, listening to your body, make those plans, but know that you can bail on them. Even again, like you said, Josh, even if you've already showed up and you don't want to be there. Um, the next is if this is a new loss and you're having maybe that big family dinner, we're trying to integrate that person. I mean, everybody in the room is going to know that that person who sits in the seat, same seat every year isn't there anymore. And so just bringing light to it by acknowledging and maybe having a moment where you say, hey, you know what? I really hate that there's this empty chair here. You know, I really miss this person. Or making their favorite meal. Sometimes that can be the greatest way to really bring them to the table is to make a purpose of making their favorite dish and bringing it to the dinner. Even if it's something that doesn't fit with the dinner, like, I don't know, macaroni and cheese. It's something that you know is that person's favorite dish and you're bringing them to the dinner by making their favorite meal. I mean, even if I could pull on that story about that little lady that I was sharing who brought a framed photo of her deceased husband everywhere, maybe putting a photo up, maybe putting that photo in the chair that that person sat at. Just because, again, that person's physical body isn't here anymore doesn't mean that their memory and their presence in your life doesn't exist. 
And so finding ways that help to bring them forward and to bring them into the fa- into the holiday season and into your experiences can really sometimes take that pressure and relief away because you can turn around at the table and you can see that they're right there. I like that. I don't have, my dad was never a good cook. So he would probably just have stew for Christmas. <laughs> and I don't really want to make that for anyone. But, but I think it's a great idea for those people who are bakers. Uh, Jay, do you have, did your, who was it? Naomi? Did Naomi ever bake? Oh, God, she was just a queen in the kitchen. She could, yes, she baked. She baked everything. And, and you know, no offense to my skills. Like, I'm a pretty good, not to toot my own horn, but, like, I'm a pretty good in the kitchen. But, yeah, she made the most amazing, like, scones and like biscuits. And she was amazing at pastry. Cinnamon buns, the best cinnamon buns. Um, and I couldn't, I tried so many times to recreate those and I can't, if my life depended on it, but, um, she had the, she had the magic touch, but it's so, it's so weird because I can just, even if I smell a cinnamon bun, that's, you know, not comparable to, to her, to her magic. Um, it still reminds me of her. And so, you know, I might, I might go out to a bake shop and buy one. But yeah, it, yeah, I think it's so funny the way like food, you know, and I know we've talked about this before, but just like food connects, it connects so many people to their lost loved ones, whether it be whoever, uncle or brother, or grandmother. I like yeah, that. food really seems to bring people together. And I think sometimes around the holiday season, a lot of the holiday traditions tend to be around food. And so really acknowledging you know, even if you don't want to partake in a, in a festivity, just acknowledging even the food that you would have been eating with that person. It's a big part of bonding, I think, in our culture where, I mean, in many cultures where you sit and you really get to learn about each other around a shared meal. That's cool. All right. So that's two. Is there another tip you have? I don't know how long your list is. <laughs> is there a third one? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so another one, too, is doing an activity that your loved one would have liked to do. So this one I really like to highlight for people who maybe don't have a large family or they really don't want to go to a holiday dinner. Um, And so doing an activity that your loved one and you used to love to do or maybe visit their favorite place. So if it's a specific park bench or if it's a spot on the river or even going out to the end of the pier, whatever it is with you know, your favorite place to be with that person or maybe their favorite place to be. Trying to partake in that during the holiday season when maybe you're missing them quite a bit. And so going and actually spending some time sort of with their memory and yourself in their favorite place. Yeah, I like that. The advice is so great. And I think all those three things can help people along their journey. And I bet you you have so so many more uh, tips at your fingertips. But I think, you know, that's, I think those are great. I think that's, uh, are you, because you do blogs, right? Will you be doing a blog about the holidays? Definitely. I hope, I tend to do one around the holiday season, especially just because sometimes it can be uh, really hard to get through it. And so I know that's the easiest kind of way to find tips and tricks, right? Is to just go into Google and say, oh gosh, how do I get through the holiday season? And hopefully some good suggestions and hopefully um, my article that I put up will come up on the list and be helpful for some of our readers. Amazing. We'll, uh, we'll put on the show notes if it's available by the time we, uh, we, we put this out. Um, and then, awesome. so, Thanks. 
<laughs> no problem. <laughs> and so there's the people who are grieving, but what can people do if let's say their friend or family member is grieving and they aren't like, what can they do to sort of help that person through the holidays? Wicked question. And I really appreciate this. One thing I really encourage family members, caregivers, sort of friends of our loved ones that are grieving is to just recognize that Grieving is so difficult and it's exhausting. And so meeting those people where they're at, it's really not at the holiday time about ourselves and to get what we're needing. It's about looking at other people and really giving what we can. And so for our bereaved, sometimes it's somebody to listen, a shoulder to cry on, someone to binge watch Netflix with and not talk about the loss. And sometimes it's someone to really go through the boxes and sort the clothes or even just sit and cry with. And so really recognizing that this is a very difficult time for many people. And if I can encourage anyone just to give our bereaved 10 minutes of your time in the way that they need it, you're going to make a world of a difference for them. And I'm sure that'll make a difference for you too. That's beautiful. And I think, you know, it's funny because I look at my uh i guess my one side my mom's side of the family and every year we have like a family kind of function and they lost their uh, mom and dad um but the dad was the big loss which happened around four years ago and so i like every time i, I try to give gifts in memory of them to like remind them almost because like no one's talking about them which is so weird that i'm the one like you know like bringing up the loss just because they were so much more closer to to them, the the parents, right? <laughs> but like, so I bring it up, and then they start. They they're very grateful that I provide a gift of some sort. Like sometimes it's just like, um, what did I do this one year? I put their picture in like a snow globe, you know, like the you know one of those <laughs> snow globes you can get. And I just put them in there, just something they could have on their mantle to remember them by. Uh, and they they have it up every year, which is amazing to see. But like they get teary eyed and they become a little emotional and, and so, as if they forgot. They just need someone to say, I remember for them to say, oh, it's OK. You know, it's OK to to um, to be in that sadness and to feel feel sad. I think, you know, like like I've done it for three years and fourth year coming. But I wonder, you know, like not when I'm going to stop, but, you know, I think in the first year, people are probably more prone to talking about it. But I think as years go on, more and more people forget to ask. And so do you recommend, you know, even if it's like 10 years to like bring it up? Absolutely. I mean, these people were real people and they were impactful in our lives. And so just because it's been a decade or even two decades since they died, it doesn't mean that we grieve them any less. It might not feel as heavy and it might not happen every day, but those holidays come up, the anniversaries, the important parts of our life come up and it's still noticed that those people aren't there. And so I think it's really great what you do, Josh, for these people in your life where you give permission to say, hey, I'm still willing to talk about it and I'm still going to honor that life because they're, they were real and they're important and it's still a place in everyone's heart. And so, yeah, I definitely think that continuing to talk about 
the loved ones even years later just allows people to have permission to still talk about them and to acknowledge that they really existed. I mean, a lot of people too, depending on the complications surrounding the death and the grief and the relationships that were going on, sometimes people can't always grieve right away. And sometimes there's a lot of anger that kind of has to be worked on first. And so when people are ready to grieve, after the rest has sort of subsided and been worked on, there's not a lot of people always around because they assume so much time has gone by that they should have done it already. And I think that's a really unfortunate misconception in our society because there's no timeline for grief and we all do it in our own way. And so really recognizing for anyone in our lives who has experienced the death where there's any given time for the rest of their life that they might need to start talking about it or continue to talk about it. And so if we could be that people, how nice would that be for them to know that this is a safe place that they can come and talk about it at any point that they need so that they know that they're okay. Yeah. I think too, another important piece, I think bringing it up is important. Like you said, there's no timeline on grief. So if it's five years, 10 years or 15 years later, it's still okay to to ask. And I think you said another important point is like, if somebody just wants to come over and, watch Netflix and not talk about the death and doesn't want you asking and to honor them in in that place as well because they're like you said you know depending on the relationship and complications surrounding the death I actually had somebody at the workshop come up to me after and say you know not everyone had a, a positive relationship with the deceased which you know I'm aware of and so some people they they don't want to talk about it and until they're ready and that may be you know, never. So really just highlighting the piece about meeting people where they are and supporting them and not forcing them to talk about it and not forcing them to remember because sometimes, um, you know, just sharing joys and laughter and space with somebody and a meal that can go a long way. And then, you know, they process in their, in their own quiet solitude. Um, so that can be, I don't, I don't want people to feel like one or the other is, is more, um, significant because um, I've definitely had people in my life that you know have, have have lost somebody and said I just want you to sit with me and do not bring up blank's name and it's like okay I can do that yeah it's really about meeting where people where they're at and what they want right we yeah. might come in with this expectation that you know I'm ready I've got the tissues I'm ready to talk about this loss for as long as you need to and the person sitting across from us who's grieving might say I really just need to do anything but grieve right now I need a break and being able to switch that right and and be able to say okay let's go for a walk let's go kick the ball in the field let's go for a hike or go to the local coffee shop let's do something different um, again, meeting people where they're at and what they need. And I really appreciate you saying that, yeah, there are sometimes that we have losses of people who we aren't sad that they're gone. And so acknowledging that not just because someone is dead doesn't mean that they are a saint or that we have to grieve them in a specific way. I think sometimes, especially around the holidays for people who might have had really difficult relationships with individuals who have died, there's this idea that we need to mourn them and and talk about them in this really beautiful way. And 
that's not always our experiences of people. And so sort of going back to the idea of meeting people where they're at and being able to talk about someone for the experience that they had with them and just being honest about it and allowing that piece to have life in a space where maybe it's not always seen as polite or even acceptable to talk about the dead in a non-positive way. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've had conversations with people that are like, and like afraid to tell, to tell people, but like I've had conversations with people that, you know, who their, their father passed away and they're like, I'm so glad my dad's gone. Like I never want to see him again. And you're the only person that I could unload that on. So thank you. And so a lot of times it has the same effect that it would, you know, discussing the the deceased in a loving kind of you know more grieving way it's more like I just need to get that that off my chest because that's that that could be hard for a lot of people to say you know because society exactly like what you said is is expecting a lot of times to say oh I miss them so much and they were such a beautiful person and you know and to have that that really positive connotation around the conversation which um, isn't always realistic for, for people. And, um, I get, I, I get that too. So I think, yeah, it's just, it's just really, really important. And, um, just having like the woman come up to me at the, at the workshop and say she had lost somebody and, you know, she's like, I'm not sad about it. And I want to just remind you that, you know, not everyone who, who loses somebody is, is feeling a loss. Some people are actually feeling, you know, a gain if you can get your head around that so yeah it's, it's a relief inclusive right? is is completely inclusive to to everybody is is the important kind of message i guess yeah and i think too it goes back to um the first point is feeling your body and know what you're willing to do so either going out to a party or going out for the holidays or not but also what you're willing to talk about what you're not like feel your body and 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 know what's right for you and if someone brings it up, I think that's great because they're bringing it up. But if they do and you don't want to talk about it, just mention it to them and say, no, I don't really want to talk about that. But let's talk about this. And, and that gives them the acknowledgement that, you know, thank you for asking since most people aren't. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know the people that are not asking and just say, like, I don't want to talk about it. And then just talk about something else. But at least you're giving you're saying, you know, thank you and support. Thank you for at least remind like remembering that I lost someone because I think that's the key around the holidays is most people forget and because they're so busy with everything else they're shopping you know trying to buy stuff trying to figure out what they're getting you know like (laughs) all that sort of stuff they forget about their friends and what they've been going through and you know what hasn't been happening and the reality is most people don't ask about people's loss you know a year or two years down the road and it's always a fresh memory. I think that's why grief dreams is such a great thing because people don't ask about these. So when you ask someone, they're like, what? Like, <laughs> is this question actually occurring right now? <laughs> and then they get excited. And I think, you know, around the holidays too, this could be a, uh, just a, a question. And I know uh, grief dreams um, can be triggered by the holidays just because I did one study where uh, I looked at a woman's dream di- diary and uh, her, most of her dreams occurred around the holidays. And same thing with, I hear a lot of people. So a lot of people might get triggered in having dreams. So feel free to ask them. Also, if you're listening, um, ask people around you if they're having any grief dreams around Christmas time, because, uh, you know, they might be, and it might be an interesting conversation to have. Definitely. And Josh, I really just want to highlight one thing you said there is 
sort of like that idea that we're not mind readers and no one and neither is anyone else. So just acknowledging too, if I, you know, if you're the bereaved listening out today and you're really wanting to talk about your loss or you don't want to talk about it, having that conversation with the people in your life as best as you can will help them to understand where to meet you where you're at because I mean, I might think that it's, you know, Christmas time and it's the holidays and we're having this dinner and maybe you really want to talk about the loss. And so I start the conversation and you don't really want to, but unless you tell me that you don't want to have that conversation, I'm not going to know any different. And so I don't want to, you know, kind of make somebody upset if it's something that they're not interested in talking about at that time. So I just really always encourage people too around this time of the year is to make sure we remember that no one is a mind reader and that we really have to ask for what we need. Mm-hmm. And that's also, you know, draws a piece on like courage and don't be, don't be afraid to, you know, say what you need and don't be afraid to tell people, you know, it can be hard too, because you have expectations and, and, you know, that can be, you know, it takes courage to voice what you want and what you need and what works for you. But, you know, to just really encourage people not to be afraid and it's uncomfortable sometimes to have to have those kind of conversations or bring up those things, but it can feel a lot better after afterwards if if we do um, set that boundary and you know feel really empowering to to put out into the world what we need or what we definitely don't want and you know that's true of of, of grief conversations and that's true of of everything else as well. So I just yeah I think that's. I think that's a, a, a very valuable piece as well. And so I'm curious, on your grief journey so far, have you ever had a dream of one of the 14 people who have died? You know, Josh, when I went to your training, I really wish I had heard of this years ago. I have been dreaming about people forever. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I... I was, I've been listening to your podcast and I've been seeing your articles and even the information that you shared at the training where people had such vivid memories and dreams of their loved ones at very pinnacle points or a very specific moment. And, you know, I was sitting in the audience and you had us write down sort of our grief dreams or if we would like a grief dream, what would we like it to be? And I was flooded with memories of dreams that I've had of my family members. And there was not one specific one that I could really pull out. Um, I have had dreams mainly around my grandparents. I lost them at some pretty pinnacle points in my life. And they have always reemerged in my dreams, sometimes just as people in the dream, not really saying anything or doing anything, but just there watching me. And the research that you've done and the information that you share, it really just sat so close to home for me because I thought, wow, what a cool way of looking at this in a different way. I, you know, I never really understood maybe why they were coming to me in my dreams and just thought it was really cool that I still remembered what their faces looked like. And I just, I really appreciated the perspectives that you put on them and acknowledging that there are pieces if we really look harder and maybe try and find the message or at least acknowledge the experience that we're having. And so um, since I saw you in January, you know, I've really just been acknowledging that they've come back in dreams um, and just sort of saying hi, making sure I take the moment in the morning when I, I have dreams of them to just say hello and send them well wishes and thoughts and then go on my day. 
So yeah, I I have them all the time. Um, so I, I you know I really wish I had this awesome story that I could really pinpoint and talk about, but they're just there all the time. And so I think for me, it's just this comfort piece where I think I've, I've made sure to create a relationship with my deceased loved ones that they're just still always a part of my life. That's nice. And as you said, like you have, you do so many continuing bonds stuff and waking life. It's, it's like, it's a nice little extra when you wake up and you can see them healthy um, and probably happy, I'm guessing since um mm-hmm. right you're comforted when you woke up i'm curious do they ever come together in the imagery or are they always just separate in different dreams um i feel like i there's there's this feeling i couldn't tell you the dream that happened um but i the three people that i always think of my nana my grandfather and my aunt my aunt and my grandfather that is dad and daughter and then my nana was a different side but i have had dreams where all three have been there um not necessarily together but at different paths along the dream um they've all sort of come to be and so the last time i can really remember this happening was i when i'm having big changes in my life so i was actually finishing grad school and i was embarking and you know just I had been hired for this new job and I was about to move and at the time I wasn't really thinking about it again because they're in my dream so often but at your workshop I really started to to really think about how large of an impact that dream was on me at the time and uh, yeah they were just it was almost as if they were there just watching and supporting you know acknowledging that this was a big transition and that they, they were there for me wow that's cool. And it's cool. You got, you see a pattern within your dreams and you notice, you know, like when you're going through your, your masters, you're finishing up that you, you caught that, or you remember that the impact it had on you. And a lot of people don't know it's hard. It's a lot of, a lot of work as much as you love doing it. There's a lot of work <laughs> that goes into this, into school. And you went through it all. You went through university and then your masters and then coming to this pinnacle that you probably wish they would be around for too. Because oh, it's just, I it's, would have given anything for them to be present for that. You bet. Well, it's like your biggest thing. Like out of all the things in life, that's probably the one thing, right? Like that you're like, this is what I want to be all my life. And now I want you here and you're not here, right? Like to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You were a part of the journey. You were watching me go through it at, you know, some stage of the game. And, yeah. and you're not here, but you are here. And so yeah. thank you for coming to me this way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's amazing. Um, I'm just curious, have have you asked about these dreams more often now because you went to the talk? Oh, absolutely. I've even been asking people that I work with about them. You know, my <laughs> colleagues and I, we have supervision and I say, you know, I, I remember after coming to that, to your tra- talk and my supervisor, when I was doing my practicums, I, we're, we're very good friends still. And so I went back to her and I said, wow, like I've had this and she still works sort of in the grief and loss realm as well. And so I said, you know, have you heard of these? And she said, yeah, but I never really looked at it in the same way. She always asked about dreams um, and if people came, but it was it was just a nice different perspective to look on it from your, your talk. And so, yeah, we actually touch base quite often about the, the dreams that we have and our, that our clients share with us and just the cool experiences that people have. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that it's very ma- has like a magical quality, like the positive dreams for people. And it's just allowing people to share, like providing a space. And I'm glad you're asking the question because most people have these dreams. So like when you're asking, most people will say say something. 
I'm curious. So we we like to like wrap the show with a certain, but we like to ask you, what dream would you want to have tonight if you could? I want to change that for this episode since it's a Christmas episode. So what dream would you want to have this Christmas if you could? If I could have a Christmas dream, you know what? I really would love, the dream I would love to have is to have, be at my grandfather's Christmas table in his house that he used to live in and having everybody there. We never really mixed both sides of the family with Christmas dinner because the families were so large, but I would really love a dream where everyone was just in the same house and we were all sitting around the same Christmas table and telling everyone about our lives, what we've been doing, you know, haven't seen you so long, what have you been up to? And and just sharing in that and the laughter that would come and just the comfort of being in that same kitchen. That would be the best dream. I'm curious, so what kind of food's on that table? <laughs> well, um, it kind of changed as the years went. Um, I mean, traditionally it was sort of that North American traditional Christmas dinner. But as the years went on, people really got tired of having multiple Christmas dinners. So we kind of ended up having like this appy seafood night that um, ended up turning into our Christmas dinner that ended up being, you know, really diabetic friendly as my grandfather got older. So yeah, I'm not really sure what kind of meal that would be in the dream, but uh, probably a mixture of both, but really it would just be about the comfort of the people. I think. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. And then would you want everyone to be the same age they would, they were when they died or would you want them to all be younger probably the age they were when they died Hmm. that's cool i think that would only because if some people were younger i don't know if i would remember them the same way Mm. (laughs) they might not be familiar (laughs) right yeah i see pictures of my grandfather and then the man that he was that i remember it didn't match for me oh that's Um, funny so I think if you were younger, I wouldn't know who was sitting at the table. That's funny. You have to do introductions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how old are you in this street, right? How old are you now? Yeah. I like that. And I guess the last question uh, that I have anyways is, do you want it to be a white Christmas? I am a sucker for a white Christmas. And in BC here, we don't always have a white Christmas in the lower mainland. So yes, I'm definitely a white Christmas hopeful. Devin, when that snow comes, I'm going to know who to call. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, fair. That's fair. You can do that. (laughs) The last two years has been, for those of you who don't live in British or in the Fraser Valley, last two years have been crazy snow wise. And before that, it was like a dream. So I'm hoping that we're going to revert back to just the, I'm the opposite. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not for snow. I would like a green Christmas. Rainy Christmas is okay for me, but um, nonetheless, um, either way, I'm, 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 I'm going to you know, accept it because I love Christmas. It's, it's a, a beautiful time, lots of nostalgia and um, really good memories. I just like the comforting kind of feeling around Christmas and warm sweaters and, and all that, all things related. So um, yeah, I'll definitely be calling you if we get some crazy snowstorm on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'll bring my shovel. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So what a cool episode. I'm so, 
I've learned a lot. Thank you so much for the tips. Like just some really beautiful reminders there on how to navigate the holidays and not just Christmas. Cause obviously there's people who are listening who, you know, don't celebrate Christmas and that's fine. But I know there's a lot of, ho- you know, holidays from November to January. And so we want to be inclusive of all those people as well, but just, you know, some really good tips to tie in for the holiday season and how to converse with those in your life who, who have, have lost somebody as well as, you know, navigating your, your, your own grief. You've shared a lot of really cool uh, uh, points and uh, I just appreciate having you on and, and you gracing us with your wisdom. It's been, it's been really nice. Well, thank you both so much. It really has been such an honor to be a part of your show and to just get to touch base with you again. Um, I mean, I, I got to listen to you both in January, but I know uh, it's nice to kind of have a, a conversation in a more intimate setting. And I just, I, again, I really appreciate sort of the, the podcast that you have because it makes this real and it normalizes it for so many people. And I think just every little bit that we can do to remember that grief is such a natural process in our lives um, just makes it easier to have the conversation and to meet ourselves at where we're when we're experiencing things so thank you so much I really appreciated this great so um, if you could just um, let um, some of our listeners know if they if they're interested in in giving you some feedback or just you know sending you um, a note how they might contact you your website or anything like that you, you would like to share with us would be great Absolutely. Thanks. So yeah, you can find me at devoncecilia.counseling.com, Devon with an A, and uh, or I'm on Facebook as well. Um, You can go to my website, send me an email. I would love to hear from you, even just commenting on the blog post that I have. If there's anything that people are wanting to hear or wanting to hear more of or even cool things that they're doing for themselves that maybe I haven't put on. Um, By all means, I'm not the expert. I just have some ideas. So I would love to hear from people, you know, anything that has been helpful for them that people coming to the website might find useful for themselves. I would really appreciate that information. Yeah, I like that. And you're right, you have the blog on there. So check that out. And for your counseling, do you only see people in the Fraser Valley area or do you also do like worldwide like through the phone or Skype? So I do have um, the video and telephone options as well Um, however just through licensing and stuff I can only see people in British Columbia just because that's where the province that I'm licensed for but definitely can see you know support people outside of the Fraser Valley or people who you know just can't come for the drive Um, and we can do it over phone or video chat. Absolutely. I love it. And I noticed that you also offer a 10-minute free consultation on the phone. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people have to get a sense for their therapist, right? And so by giving me a call, happy to chat, get a feel for me and see if I'm a good fit for you. And if, you know, even if I'm a good, if you're a good fit for me, want to make sure that people are comfortable with the therapist that they're choosing to talk about. And even if I'm not the right fit, if I can help you find a right fit, I'd be happy to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's great that you have that option for people because you're absolutely right. Like they want to know more about you and and if you if you connect. So hopefully this podcast gives them an idea of who you are. I know if I was in BC area, I would go to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it. 
<laughs> no problem. Well, you support the work I do, and that means a lot to me because not everyone does. And for you to take the time and effort, not only to go, but to also talk about it. And you also wrote a blog on it. You really love what you're doing and you want to learn. And you, you can't get better than that, right? A lot of people, they, they may get stuck in their own routines on how they see the world. But you're so open to finding more ways to help the people you care about, which is the people in your community. So, you know, it's, it's amazing to, to talk to you, but also see someone living their passion and living their dreams. So congratulations on achieving this. I don't know what what's next for you because you've already reached your goal. So do you have one more goal before you die? <laughs> you know what? I, you know, I really, um, that you say that, I really had that thought, you know, uh, about a year ago where I thought, wow, you know, everything that I grew up wanting to do, I've kind of hit those boxes already in my career. And so what is it now? And I think now it's just about learning as much as I can from people and from you know researchers like yourselves and um, and clients that come in and along the way I'm I'm sure I'll find a new dream but I need to remember just to be in the moment and and enjoy what I work so hard for because I think it's really easy in life for us to you know kind of check off that box on the to-do list and go next um, without actually appreciating the pinnacle and the, and the place that we got to. So I'm, I'm really just enjoying being here right now, but definitely, I mean, it's early in life for me. So I, I still have some big places to grow, I'm sure. And, and I look forward to whatever kind of life gives me as the next goal. I love that. I love that. Being in the moment, enjoying what you've, what you've created. I like that. Not looking too far in advance. Good. Well, good. Well, <laughs> is for all of us, we can all learn from that to stop and smell the roses and, and absorb our accomplishments and sit in, in, in that in that joy space. Cause you know, particularly when we're moving forward, it's just like, okay, a milestone, the next milestone and what's next. And, and so I, I, I feel like we, you know, don't enough stop and, and kind of let all that stuff sink in and Josh I'm talking to you as well um so take that moment to really savor your accomplishments and and, and how far we've come whether it's career or personal etc so that's a really good message as well so thank you for the the very wise um sharings you know uh today it's been it's been really great and you've given me a lot to think about as well so i i am grateful to you and um this conversation for this conversation it's been it's been really nice yeah moral story be here now <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> all right so just to wrap up with our stuff if you don't already know feel free to go to griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic there's common questions answered by me and a bunch of other stuff that we have on there so check it out if you have facebook you can join the grief dreams facebook group um if you have instagram or twitter check us out at, at grief dreams also i uh, released dreaming of owl so that is now on amazon you can look for that and buy that if you want and it's just a it's a beautiful book i co-wrote with deborah stapleford about talking with uh talking about this topic with children and the book's written in such a way that there's something for children, but there's also something for the adults who read it. That's the best way to get people. <laughs> As we like to say, with love and gratitude from us to you.
English. I have questions. I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation. 